everyone, and welcome back to the Renew Your Mind podcast. I'm your host, business and mindset coach, Kieran Lenahan. Super excited to dive into our topic. Today, we're in part four of our series where we're talking about money, wealth creation, God, and how your relationship with all of those things affects your business. I want to just jump right in. So a real quick review of where we've been. So far in this series, we've talked about how God has a beautiful vision for how he wants us to use, build, and relate to wealth. And that wealth creation is actually a God-given calling and a gift that faith-driven entrepreneurs actually need to embrace rather than run away from. We talked about the dangers around money and why money is often the, the chief competitor with God for our hearts. Then last week in episode 17, we talked about generosity and how that can be both the way that we do business right? We said that generosity is so much more than giving away money. And we got into specifics of how you can be generous from your marketing and sales calls to how you hire and compensate employees. So it's the way that we do business. And generosity can also be the fuel for our desire to grow the business, right? And we ended with this question, if we could draw it up, whose hands would we want the wealth in the world to be in? I think we'd want it to be in the hands of generous people, whose hearts are submitted to God fully. And so that's where we left off. We said, be submitted to God and then go out and build wealth. Today, and really this week and next week, we're going to get super personal. So today I'm going to get really personal, more personal than I've ever been really on this podcast and especially when it comes to this topic. And so here's the plan. This week, I'm going to share a bit of my own journey my story, my relationship with money and how that's changed over time and how it's affected my business. And then next week, it's going to be your turn. I'm going to give you everything that you'll need to unpack your personal relationship with money and help you just cultivate a really deep awareness and understanding of how it's actually affecting you today. And then really help you see, well, what's the path forward? How can you make improvements or make tangible progress in your business through this lens. And so these next two episodes, ultimately, you know, everything leading up to this in this series is culminating in these two episodes of of me sharing my story, all moving in the direction of and with the intention of helping you make sense of your story and your relationship with money. Why is this such an important topic? Why is this worth one episode of me sharing my story and one episode helping you understand yours. I'm not just sharing because I like to share about myself. All of our stories are unique, but I know for a fact that there are people who will hear parts of themselves in my story today, and I sense that it's going to help you make sense of your story, and it's really going to help you get the most out of next week's episode. If you have kind of a model and an example of somebody who's looked back to understand their own journey and their own story to help contextualize where they are right now and where they're going. And so as an entrepreneur, you can't avoid money forever. You can't avoid this topic. It's what you do. It's an important part of what you do. And so it's critical for both the health of your business and for your spiritual health that you actually understand your current relationship with money, how you got there, and and that you move towards a healthier relationship with it, no matter where you are right now. And so really, again, this entire series about money and business and wealth creation so far has been about setting up this episode 
and next episode, episode 19. And I don't think I'll ever do a series this long on a single topic, but that's how important I think this is for us as faith-driven entrepreneurs. There is literally money being left on the table. There is impact being left on the table by entrepreneurs who have not taken the time to unpack and understand their relationship with money and how it's affecting their business today. So if you've been tracking along with this series, today and next week's episodes, so episodes 18 and 19, if you apply and wring out every last drop of value that you can from these two episodes, you will be on a brand new trajectory in your relationship with money and as a result in your business. So in this series, we've talked a lot about this idea of this beautiful vision, right? That's the language I've been using for how we can relate to money in a way that honors God. But in order to get to any destination that we want to get to, we have to first understand where we are now and also how we got there. And so before I share my story, I want to briefly briefly walk through the different influences that shape our relationship with money in general. So obviously, or maybe not obviously, your past personal experiences with money are by far the most impactful things that influence your relationship with money. And in general, I would categorize personal experiences into two main buckets. A, there are what I will call standout experiences. These are very memorable experiences that stand out immediately when you think back, where you remember the vivid details, whether it's from childhood or or adulthood, right? It's maybe one specific time, for example, you were literally scolded by a parent because you asked for money and you got in trouble for even asking, right? That could be traumatic. Or maybe you had one really wealthy friend and when you went to his house for the first time, you thought you were in heaven because everything was so cool and you vividly remember the details of that experience. Or maybe you got made fun of in school once because you didn't have the name brand shoes that everybody else was wearing, right? These are all examples of standout experiences that you might remember that have left their imprint on you and that are actually going to affect your relationship with money and how that shows up in your business today. So that's A, standout experiences. And then there's B, what I'll call background experiences or, you know, that's just how it was kind of experiences, right? These are the micro experiences and kind of micro memories that are just kind of always running in the background. They're seemingly insignificant, but little by little, your relationship with money is formed by them, right? So this would be like if anytime you asked if you can buy name brand cereal in the grocery store, if your mom would say no, but we can get the generic version because it's cheaper, right? These are kind of recurring experiences that don't even feel like they necessarily stand out, but it's just because it was the way it was growing up, right? So those are kind of two main buckets of experiences, ones that really stand out and then ones that are They're there, they happened all the time, uh, and yet they've still shaped and had an impact on your relationship with money. And so big picture, your personal experiences are what shape your relationship with money. Now we can break that big umbrella of just personal experience into three groups, right? Family of origin, your community, and society. So first, typically the biggest factor in your relationship with money is going to be tied to experiences that you had within your family of origin, your parents, your aunts and uncles, your family members who you lived with and grew up with and spent the most time with. And so this would be everything from 
the lessons that you learned that you were taught explicitly via sit-down lessons, if that ever happened, or implicitly just via people's actions that you were able to observe. So that's family. In addition to family, there's also your broader community. So the group of people beyond your family with whom you've spent a lot of time, right? So for those of you who grew up in church, maybe you learned some things about money there that might influence your thinking. Or this could be a, your group of friends and their families, right? When all of your friends had the, the popular brand for shoes or clothing and you had the generic one, right? That's a small experience that's going to shape your beliefs about money. Maybe you grew up in poverty or maybe you lived in a middle-class neighborhood. Either way, you are likely surrounded by others beyond your family who you learned some lessons about money from. And then if we expand that circle even wider, there's society as a whole, right? Typically, this has to do with any content you consume. It has the ability to shape and form your views and beliefs around anything, but particularly money, right? So the news and the media, including social media, if you watched certain shows growing up, if you were into MTV, that might influence your thinking. Or maybe you watched the, the Super Bowl last night and you saw that they did a remake of Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and you're not sure how you feel about it, but it made you think of the original show, right? Maybe you identify with Will Smith in that show and his character going from inner city Philadelphia to a family with a butler who happens to be really funny, right? Or maybe you identify more with Carlton and, and the environment that he grew up in. But regardless, the, the show and the portrayal of certain problems or characteristics of people of different socioeconomic classes can influence your thinking and your beliefs around money. Everything from news stories to Instagram posts to seeing the size of athletes' contracts on SportsCenter to watching my lottery dream house on TV, all of these add up to create your unique perspective on how you view money and what you believe about it. And so with that as the backdrop and kind of the foundation for this episode and next episode, I want to just get into a bit of my story with money. And this isn't something I've shared publicly before, definitely not in this way. My clients may have heard some of this here and there in coaching sessions, but for the longest time, I was afraid to talk about this with anyone, let alone on a podcast that could potentially exist for the rest of human history. So I'm going to share my story, not every detail because we don't have all day, but as you listen, I want you to check in with any of this that sounds familiar or resonates, even if the exact circumstances weren't the same, but maybe there's a, a theme or a thread that does resonate with you. Because after this week, when, when I share my story, Next week, we're going to give you tools and prompts that are honestly super simple, but that are going to be so effective at helping you understand your story. And so you can kind of start preparing for that as you listen to my story. So my relationship with money can really be split into three main different time periods in my life. And so that's how I'll split things up. So the first one is just childhood. I'll call that being born through high school. The second one is early adulthood, so I'll include college plus my corporate career and then maybe year one in the business, and then what I'll call just present day and kind of where things are now and where they've been over the past year. In each time period, I'm going to share some standout memories, some really memorable moments that, that stick out for me, as well as just some background kind of this is how it was type memories. 
And then I'm also just going to share, if I had to summarize really the main lessons that I internalized and that I feel like I had learned the beliefs that I had come to believe in each time period. And then in the end, I'm going to tie that directly to how my experiences in the past then affected my business in really tangible ways. So let's start with childhood, right? Born, the time I was born through high school. One background memory that's just kind of foundational, I grew up in what I would consider to be middle class, um, maybe lower middle class when my mom wasn't working middle class when she was after my siblings and I were all school age. You know, we never didn't have food on the table. We always had a roof over our heads, always had clothes on our backs. We were always taken care of. But there was certainly this this kind of sense that money was tight. You could just kind of, you could tell. Uh, we had limits on, you know, Christmas presents. I didn't have an allowance like some of my friends. Like, you, you know, you can just tell. We couldn't just be buying stuff whenever we wanted. And so one other kind of background memory, and this is just something that I, I remember being just a recurring thing growing up. There were a lot of times when my mom would bring me and my siblings to the mall. Um, and even once a year, we would just do a one-on-one mom and son date. And it's still one of the things that I'm most grateful for growing up, having that one-on-one time with my mom. And typically on that day, more so than on others, I would be able to ask for something. And whether it was clothes or a toy or something electronic, I knew I was likely to be able to get it because it was kind of the special day each year. But regardless of whether it was a, a mom and son date or just a normal trip to the mall with my two siblings, if we did buy anything, we were told to sneak it into the house and directly into our rooms without my dad seeing it because my mom said that he would get upset if he knew that we had bought stuff was basically the gist of it. And so this was just kind of how it was growing up. This was normal. It was something that happened um, really pretty much anytime I remember going to the mall. And so the lesson that I, that I learned or the lesson that I internalized from those experiences at a subconscious level, because I I certainly wasn't consciously processing this information. And so there are a couple of lessons that I learned or, or things that I had internalized from these recurring experiences. One, just that money was scarce, otherwise this wouldn't be an issue. And then two, that money wasn't safe to talk about because it would lead to conflict if it did come up. And there were some times where that did come up and where there was conflict. And so the only times that money came up and the only context that I really heard it discussed in was in this context of conflict. And then before sharing one standout experience, uh, a standout memory, I want to also share one more background memory. And I honestly can't pinpoint exactly where it came from. Maybe some friends or some TV shows or a combination of places. But I do remember having kind of this undertone in my childhood of a connection between being wealthy and being greedy. Like when you see somebody wealthy that you should probably be a little skeptical because there's there's likely some dishonest stuff going on that contributed to it. And so this undertone, it was really subtle and it wasn't an explicit lesson that I was taught from anybody. Um, and it's not, you know, just a main memory. It was just kind of there lurking in the background. And then the last memory that I want to share just from my childhood, from born through high school, is one standout memory that introduced another dimension to this whole relationship with money thing. And so I remember in high school, I was a soccer player and we had a party 
after the season at one of my teammates' uh, houses. And it was one of those experiences where, you know, you're driving and as you get closer to the neighborhood and the destination that you're getting to, you start to realize that you're in a really wealthy area and that you're probably going to be blown away by how beautiful and big the house is. Well, we pull up and of course it's, it's a huge house without any others nearby. I can't even see the next closest house. And I just remember being like, whoa, we go inside. It's beautiful. Everything's super nice. We walk through the kitchen, uh, which has this massive like island, and you walk through the sliding doors onto the back deck. And the back deck is overlooking this in-ground pool with a diving board. And then beyond the pool, maybe about 50 yards or so, you see a full-size soccer field with legit regulation-sized soccer goals. And I can feel, as I'm talking through this, I can feel that feeling that I felt in the moment. It was the sense of excitement, a little bit of wonder, a, a tiny bit of jealousy. And don't get me wrong, I, I loved my childhood. I was a really happy kid growing up. But this definitely ignited a pretty big dose of desire. Like, I want that one day. And as I imagined having it one day, I imagined how much fun it would be to have people play soccer in my backyard and how happy I would be in that moment. And so what I internalized that day was that having a lot of money can give you things that I thought would make me happy. It can give you the good life that I had seen glimpses of on TV and things like that. And so before I even graduated high school, I can see these different dimensions and these different beliefs about money starting to shape how I see the world. And so on one hand, I've got, you know, money is scarce, but it also gives you the good life and that's what you want to pursue. There's also some, you know, money is not safe to talk about. It leads to conflict. And so you take these two memories and combine them with this like weird undertone of money leads to greed or indicates that you might not be a good person. And I'm sure you can already see how this might be introducing attention and kind of this push and pull tug of war in my own head and in my own heart. And so if I had to describe really the primary emotions that I associated with money during this period of my life, there was a pretty gripping fear, uh, partially rooted in scarcity, but also fear around talking about money because it could lead to conflict. And then beyond that, there's this tension, right? There's this really strong desire on one side. And then on the other side, there's this feeling that I need to repress that. And so that's kind of the, the 30,000 foot view of the first 18 years of my life. Now, moving on to early professional life, right? So college, uh, getting into my corporate career, and then even year one in my business. This period of my life was really marked by learning a ton about personal finance and getting obsessed with it. I got really, really into the financial independence or FIRE movement, if you're familiar with it, right? FIRE is this acronym that stands for financial independence, retire early. It's this whole community committed to frugality and lowering your life expenses as much as possible and saving enough money to just live off of and retire. And so that's kind of what this period was marked by. And so a couple of memories worth sharing here. I have this standout memory. Um, Dana and I had a combined uh, over $100,000 of student loan debt plus Dana's graduate school tuition, uh, which she was, she was in grad school in this time period. And so we had this combination of, you know, private loans, federal loans. So interest rates were anywhere from 
like 3% to 9.5%. But we paid off those loans in full within three and a half years of graduating. And we still have this video of us paying off that last loan and dancing and celebrating like crazy uh, to a song with the lyrics, I finished paying Sally Mae back. And the lesson that I kind of learned throughout that whole journey and that experience, what I internalized was that living below your means and delayed gratification can make some amazing things possible. And so we had these plans to, to rent an incredible Airbnb and throw this huge party to celebrate this amazing accomplishment. But we didn't because part of what made this all possible was this background memory. And this is kind of how, how things were. I budgeted like a madman. Every single transaction, every time I bought lunch for $6.50 at my company's cafeteria, I entered it into the spreadsheet. It was at the point where I was questioning if we really needed to spend $50 at the grocery store each week. I would literally make myself choose some fruits over others because they were cheaper, right? Bananas, anybody? I love blueberries and raspberries, but strawberries and grapes were more filling. And so this was how I made decisions at the grocery store. I would tell myself to pick two out of the three that I wanted. And the, the lesson I learned or what I internalized here was that saving money is good, spending money is bad. And the overall lesson was that frugality is the path to what I wanted in life, whether that was paying off student loans or having that house with the soccer field and the swimming pool in the backyard. Being frugal works, so keep being frugal. One other variable in this stage of my life was that I became a believer about a year after I started working in corporate. And in my early days, I thought being frugal was this great place to be. I was avoiding the whole like being corrupted by money and doing bad things to get money kind of thing or so I thought. I started tithing. It hurt, but I was doing it. And my theology of money, if you want to call it, that was basically Jesus didn't really have possessions, be like Jesus. As long as you're not buying a bunch of houses and yachts, you're not worshiping money and your heart's probably in the right place. Then I actually started to hear some pastors like Tim Keller teach about money. And what I realized was that I was just as gripped by the power of money as somebody who was incredibly wealthy and who was spending it on yachts to try to impress other people. But instead of spending money on material things, I was just saving it and holding onto it because it made me feel safe and secure. I was trusting money with my ultimate security and ultimate safety. And to tithe, like I said, it was actually really painful. And every time I went to do it, I tried to find excuses not to or to rationalize why it's okay that I don't do it, you know, this month or this week. We need to get our car repaired. We're still paying off our loans, et cetera, right? But the bottom line was that intellectually, I knew God needs to be number one in my life. But in reality, in my heart, money was still number one. And I realized it's a big part of what drove all of my hard work in school from elementary school all the way through college was this, I want security. I want to have money because then I'll be secure. And then I was also placing my, my ultimate sense of significance, or at least a big part of my significance in having money and in making money. And so if I couldn't provide for my family, if I couldn't live up to what people have been telling me my whole life, which is that I'm smart and I'm going to be successful, then who will I be? I won't be of any significance. And so in this period of life, the, the emotions that I would associate with money were primarily stress, 
but it was cloaked in in some like weird level of enjoyment because it was kind of fun to be frugal. It was like a challenge, but really underneath it, there was just, it was anxiety. It was fear of not having money, fear of not living up and, and of not being significant. And so that was my early professional life, you know, from college through even year one in the business. And so now we move into the third time period, right? Present day. This is me kind of in the past handful of years as I've become more experienced as an entrepreneur and and have spent real dedicated time praying that God would redeem my relationship with money, getting in community with other people who can help me in that journey, getting coached on it. And as with each stage, you know, I'm just pulling out some of the most important memories and themes. There's certainly more to it, but in the past 12 months, even there have been some significant changes in my relationship with money. So I'll share a couple of standout memories uh, just from the past couple of years. So one of them, I remember the first time that I heard this, and honestly, I don't remember who it was from or where exactly I heard it, but it clicked so immediately with me. And having come from this financial independence uh, fire movement world where it was all about like decrease expenses, decrease expenses as low as you can go, and that's how you retire early. Um, I heard that I heard someone say that wealth isn't primarily created through skimping at the grocery store and cutting down your grocery bill by four dollars a week. Strategically, it actually makes a lot more sense if you want to build wealth, especially as an entrepreneur. It makes way more sense to focus on growing your top line, your income, than it does to slice expenses. And the reason why is super simple. You can grow your income pretty much infinitely. There's no cap to it. But your expenses can only go so low, right? They can't go below zero. There's an absolute kind of end to that. And so, sure, definitely simplify. Service-based businesses don't, in general, require a ton of of overhead, keep it simple. But as an entrepreneur, your energy is way better spent creating value for other people and then capturing that value. Increasing your income is where your effort and your energy is actually going to yield the most return on investment. And when I heard this, this just hearing it presented that way shifted my mindset away from obsessing over $12 business decisions in year one to focusing on how I can reach and serve more people. And when I made that shift, the the grip that money had on me, that the fear of not having money had on me, got weaker. One other standout memory that happened within the past uh, even six months even, a peer of mine, and shout out to Lisa Michelle if you're listening to this, uh, was coaching me around my relationship with money. And I had this aha moment after she had asked the question where I had finally realized why I was hesitant to talk about money in my marketing, which is a little bit weird for me specifically because I'm a business coach. And among other things, I help people make more money for a living. And so to not talk about money really at all is a little bit weird. So I was hesitant to talk about it in my marketing. I was also hesitant to talk about it on the podcast And when I looked at why, it was because I hadn't fully worked through that belief that I had formed that money was not safe to talk about. And once I realized that I was still operating as if that were true, that money was not safe to talk about, right? Of course, I'm not going to want to talk about it. If If I don't feel safe, that's one of the fundamental needs that we have as humans, right? If you think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, 
What's at the bottom? Safety, right? And so if I don't feel safe to talk about it, of course I won't talk about it. But once I realized and connected that dot, I felt walls just come crashing down, like in a good way. I felt like this this freedom, this weight off my shoulders to be able to just talk about it. And as I processed that and then combined that with a mentor of mine who introduced me to this reality that the Bible celebrates wealth creation, that it's something I can embrace as a holy calling, right? These things were paradigm shifting for me. They opened up a whole new world for me in my relationship with both God and with money. And then something else that's been happening that has continuously helped me shift in the past two years has just been conversations that I've had with clients and potential clients. As I've realized that money was safe to talk about and that it was even of great service to be able to talk to people about their money decisions and their relationships with money, I've realized that my story, while it's unique, I am not the only one that grew up with these beliefs being internalized about money that weren't actually true. And there are a lot of people who experience various kinds of of just brokenness or even trauma related to money. And God was always planning to use my journey and the things that I've worked through to help others work through them as well. And so as I've been able to help walk other people through their journey, it has continually expanded my thinking about money from, oh, it's safe to talk about, to now it's like, This is an area for faith-driven entrepreneurs where deep healing and restoration can happen and can actually unlock a ton of potential within people to advance God's kingdom. And even still with all of this, I have not arrived. Where I am now, it's not perfect. I still have old patterns that show up, but the primary feeling that I associate with money right now more than ever is freedom. It's just this weight lifted off my shoulders. Tithing doesn't sting anymore. Giving away money beyond that actually feels joyful a lot of the time. And it's gotten deeper and deeper into my heart that my security and my significance come from God and God alone. And so that's my story in a nutshell. And so before we wrap up this episode in a couple of minutes and flip this around to your story next week, I want to draw some really specific connections to how my story that I just shared influenced me and my business early on. And so first, because I internalized that money wasn't safe to talk about and that it was a source of conflict, I didn't talk about money results that I created in my business or the financial results that my clients created. I was so afraid of being seen as someone encouraging believers to become consumed with money And I was afraid to even come anywhere close to being associated with the prosperity gospel, right? I I was just assuming that if I talk about money, it will lead to some kind of conflict. And so the best way to make sure that none of those things happened was to never talk about money. And as a result, people didn't know the extent to which I could help them. I brought in fewer clients. Another thing, because I didn't think money was safe to talk about with people, I also didn't think it was safe to talk about with God. And I didn't pray for my business. Uh, I felt like it was wrong to ask God to prosper it financially, to to bring me the people that he wants me to work with. And as a result, I was trying to carry the entire business on my shoulders, which is always a fantastic idea. Hopefully you catch the sarcasm there. Probably the biggest thing here 
is that anytime someone said something about their financial situation in a sales call or a discovery call, if money was a reason that they stated that they couldn't work with me, I would clam up, get immediately anxious, feel tension in my shoulders, and completely shut down the conversation. I didn't want conflict. I didn't want to be pushy. I didn't want to make anyone feel uncomfortable, which is really just about me feeling uncomfortable. And that was it. Abrupt end to the conversation, like this panicked state, this panicked feeling. Like if you've ever been in a meeting or in church or somewhere where it's really quiet and your phone's on loud and it starts to ring, you know how you immediately try to turn the phone off as quickly as possible and you're just like in this panic state because it's so embarrassing? Yeah, that's what it was like for me being on a sales call and getting any objection related to money. Another lesson that I internalized, right? Because I internalized that saving was good and spending was bad, and that frugality was the path to my desired future, I didn't invest any money into my own personal growth or coaching, and I made very little progress in the first five months of my business. As a result, this literally cost me both money and time. Today, I am five months behind where I would have been had I invested in myself and in the business on day one. I obsessed over $30 decisions, like which calendar software to use or which service to use to build my website, and I wasted time and effort focusing on that as opposed to focusing on how I can serve and provide value to the world of faith-driven entrepreneurs. As a result, I wasn't bringing in many clients or much revenue at all in that first five months. The next one, because I internalized that money was scarce, I hesitated for months to use social media to market myself because I didn't believe that people had money to invest in their business, let alone that they actually wanted to invest money in coaching. And so, of course, if I didn't believe that people had money at all, I wouldn't market to them because that would be a waste of time. And for even longer, I hesitated to lean into the niche that I felt like God was calling me to. And I had this subconscious belief that Christians in particular didn't have money. And so I thought that working specifically with faith-driven entrepreneurs while I felt God was calling me to do that would actually make it harder to build a successful business and that it would feel like finding needles in a haystack to reach people who would hire me. And so, of course, I didn't want to make it harder for myself. So I just focused on showing up in regular secular entrepreneurial communities and startup communities. And I was so watered down in how I was showing up that I was indistinguishable from any other coach that someone else would meet. And so as a result of all of this, I wasn't really marketing myself. I wasn't really putting myself out there. I wasn't bringing in clients consistently. And the ones that I did bring in weren't ideal clients. They weren't the people that lit me up to get to work with them. And at times I would wake up on days when I would coach some people. And if I'm honest, I wasn't as excited to coach them as I am with my clients now. And so work on some days felt more like this have to, this obligation, instead of this, I get to do this, which is one of the main reasons why I left corporate and became an entrepreneur in the first place was because I wanted to do work that I got to do and that I didn't feel like I had to do. And so these are the tangible ways that just some of my personal experiences growing up and in early adulthood tangibly affected my business results. And I wanted to share my story because I'm sure that there are parts of it that you might be able to relate to, but also to give you some examples of what it looks like to look back at some of your past experiences and see 
how they're affecting you and your business in real time today, because there is wisdom to be found in your story. God is writing a story in your life. He's writing a story in human history. The Bible is a love story. I think if we are to be participants in this story that God is writing, which he invites us to, we would be wise to look back and reflect and to seek to understand where we came from to help us make sense of where we are now and where it is that God might want to take us and our businesses. And so next week, you get to make this personal. I have a simple set of prompts that we're going to walk through to help you make sense of your own story when it comes to money. What we know for sure, 100%, because you run a business, is that your relationship with money is affecting you and your business today. Next episode, I'm going to do my absolute best to make it so easy for you to identify the lessons that you learned, the beliefs that you internalized about money in the past. And so you should walk away from episode 19 next week, understanding your own relationship with money more than you ever have, how it's affecting your business, and then what to do about it. Next episode is the money episode. No pun intended for my my sports fans, the three-point contest, the last ball on the rack, that's the money ball, it's worth extra points. Next episode is the one that you want to come, you want to be ready with pen and paper, you want to wring out every last drop of value that you can get from applying what we're going to talk about next time. So get ready, invite a friend if you want to do this in community, but that's all for today. I will see you next week on what will be the most important episode of this series. Have a great rest of your week, and I will see you next time on the Renew Your Mind podcast.